The Crude Life, every Monday through Thursday with a week in review on Friday. Welcome to the Crude Life Podcast. Thank you, folks, for joining us here today. My name is Jason Spies, and producing today's program is somebody we should probably introduce very quickly. His mom and dad own a modest oil company, an OGC, if you will, OGC, oil and gas company. His parents wanted to teach him some real work, you know, kind of how the crude life works. So I told his dad about the old radio hazing back in the day. Back in the day, there was some hazing. Not everybody did it, but some people did, where they would put somebody on the air as a producer, and they wouldn't let them talk. That way, they could be part of the show, but they couldn't talk, and they were a very important part of the show. Provolone, you're a very important part of the show, but your dad really enjoyed that old hazing radio technique which we're going to now bring into the podcast world because hey you're teaching me this podcast world because apparently we got to put one of these out every day and by every day you mean monday through thursday with a weekend review on friday which covers the weekend so every day means monday through thursday and because it's a podcast and we don't have to worry about editing and we don't have to worry about making sure it matches up with what radio stations see i'm used to having these radio shows and that sort of thing so i get it you know provolone you're teaching me the podcast but your parents they 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 want you to learn some hard work and they want you to learn how to know your role and how to have a little bit more you know kind of respect in fact papa ogc Papa Oil and Gas, that's because they own a modest oil company. He said you were being taught entitlement at the university. So, Provolone, welcome to the crude life, you know. Hopefully, we can uh, take your finger off the button. Nope, you don't get to talk. Nope, nope, not today. Nope, maybe Friday. Maybe Friday. But for the next, see, I was going to let you talk tomorrow, but the fact that you almost put your finger on the button, that cost you a day. Welcome to the real world, son. Provolone. Welcome. Yep, your mom and dad are gonna love this. In fact, they're they're one of my biggest fans, and um, they absolutely want you to learn how the real world works, how to be respectful, and the difference between entitlement and opportunity. So, Provolone, welcome. All right, let's take a look at what we've got on today's program here. <clears throat> All right, U.S. Senator Kevin Kramer is going to react to Harold Ham. His prediction to a 19% oil and gas increase over the next six months, as well as Dr. Lauren C. Scott, economist and energy expert, will also react to Harold Hamm's prediction of a 19%. And, and look at that. That's one of our headlines today. Oil tycoon Harold Hamm predicts a 19% jump in the U.S. oil prices within six months regardless of what happens in the Middle East. This is from uh, marketwatch.com. Shale oil baron Harold Hamm says prices are headed to $75 a barrel, regardless of the outcome of the rising aggressions in the Middle East that has sent crude to the multi-month high. So Harold Hamm believes we're headed for about $75 
oil price within the next six months. And I'll tell you what, if that's what happens, it's going to be some great news in the oil and gas industry. But in just a moment or two, we're going to have U.S. Senator Kevin Kramer, as well as Dr. Lauren C. Scott on today's program to talk about Harold Hamm's prediction of uh, what exactly that means to the energy industry. I mean, you got to realize the guy, the, the guy's been doing this for a long time. And he has most of his money in this. I think he's got pretty much all of it in there. Uh, I was going to say, I know he's invested in a lot of uh, political campaigns and other things, but those are generally tied right back to, you know, the production of oil and gas. So uh, he knows what he's talking about. U.S. Senator Kevin Kramer and Dr. Lawrence C. Scott in just a moment or two. All right, let's take a look at the next headline here that Provolone has picked out for us. Colorado Rising takes another shot at Prop 112 type measure. I remember this proposition. This is the one that I said was going to be the smoking ban for the oil and gas industry. The one where the uh, environmental slash health advocates back in the 90s and the 2000s went by from state to state to state. And they took the, pretty much the same template of uh, public health and, and children and uh, pregnant women and uh, loose science, if you will, and some other things. And they basically got smoking outlawed in public places. Doesn't matter if this is good or bad. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is the template. And that's what I believed was happening in Colorado. Look at that. We're taking another shot at it, says Colorado Rising. Uh, Dan Haley is going to join the program uh, just a little bit later on in our extended interview segment. And he's going to talk all about this this new proposition that they're going to get on the bat. Six of them. They have six of these things going around right now. And they're going to just choose, pick and choose, which one is going to be the best shot. So uh, there's some real issues going on in Colorado. So the headline, this is from, it looks like, uh, the Daily Camera. Dot com. Uh, Colorado Rising is once again trying to get oil and gas setbacks on the ballot. The measure would have a direct impact on Broomfield. On Tuesday, the nonprofit organization submitted six proposed ballot initiatives to the Colorado Secretary of State 5, which dealt with setbacks and the one that deals with increased bonding requirements for new wells. So much like how the smoking ban happened, where you got to be a certain amount of feet from a, a structure, you can't uh, smoke in public. It pretty much outlawed smoking in cities, uh, which, you know, again, doesn't matter if this is good or bad. What it did, though, is it set a template in motion for something through the public health sector. And that's exactly what's going on here is they're using uh, uh, a proven template that's worked very well. They've modified it to fit their special needs, their cause, their industry. And they're moving ahead with it. So I'm going to talk with uh, Dan Haley a little bit later in that. By the way, uh, Dan Haley, president of the Oil and Gas Association in Colorado. The Colorado Oil and Gas Association. Problem, we're not editing that. No, this is a podcast. We just, we're, we're, we're going to, again, a podcast, apparently 30 minutes isn't 30 minutes. That's what you told me. You said the 30-minute podcast could be more than 30 minutes. So what is it? I'm used to deadlines. I'm used to having things that need to be, if the radio station tells me they need it four segments, 12 minutes and 10 minutes and 12 minutes and 10 minutes, that's what I got to deliver them. They've got news and weather and commercials and 
other things to put in their program, okay? We're a part of, again, we're a role. We're a part of a bigger picture. The world doesn't revolve around the crude life provolone. The world doesn't revolve around provolone. Okay, Dan Haley, a little bit later on in the program here. Okay, what do we got next for headlines? Galapagos turtle, what's this here? The tortoise whose rampant sex drive helped save his species is finally retiring. I think we might keep that tape on your mouth a little bit longer. Is this your way of getting back at me now? By giving me the, this is, so I give you the opportunity to choose headlines. And I get it. The first two were related to our guests that we're having on today. I understand that. Okay. We don't need to do that. The guests are going to talk about the headlines, so we don't need to double up. But this is, you're learning. I understand that. We'll have meetings afterwards and we'll go through and we'll learn things. Okay. And this, this one here, the tortoise whose rampant sex drive helped save his species is finally retiring. I get it. We're not on the radio so we can be edgy. And I get it, it's sex drive, but it's still the word sex. So you're, is, this, is this you trying to be funny? Is this you trying to catch me? Trying to get the old man on, catch him off his toes? Well, I'll tell you what, Provolone, I know about these turtles and these tortoises. So I know all about this. This, this guy, this tortoise here, okay, I know all about this. This Diego is his name, okay, Diego. Here, I'm going to read from the story now, from the headlines here. This is the Washington Post. Hey, there you go. Okay, look at you. After decades in decline, just over a dozen were left on the Galapagos Islands by the 1970s, most of them female. Their numbers were so sparse that some probably had gone decades without encountering another tortoise. Extinction seemed inevitable. Okay, Provolone, you got to imagine. You're basically one of the last men on earth. And you've got a virile genes. No, you don't have any genes on and you're virile because you're a tortoise. And you're walking amongst the, the female torti. That's a word I just made up. All right. Then Diego comes along. Flown in from the San Diego Zoo in 1976, the extremely sexually active tortoise went on to father upwards of 800 offspring. 800 offspring. He's the Adrian Peterson of turtles. He's the Sean Kemp of tortoise. You're looking at me like you don't understand those references. Okay, he's the Cody of sister wives. Is that a thing? Because it made sense to me. I don't know. I might have mixed up my metaphors there. But anyway, so Diego fathered 800 offspring. Can't believe you don't know who Sean Kemp is. AP, at least you know who Adrian Peterson is. Thank goodness. Okay, we got something in common. All right, so Diego fathered 800 tortoise offspring, these Galapagos turtles, and considerable effort helped his species. So this is Diego, like, single-handedly has saved the Galapagos tortoises to rebound to a population of 2,000. Turned him, this is, okay, this is the, the story now. It also turned him into a star. His sexual prowess is the subject of articles in newspapers across the globe, which, by the way, is why I know all about this. I, I follow this stuff. I love science, so thank you for understanding my, my love for animals and my love for nature and the environment, so I appreciate that very much. Provolone, that was a nice try, but I do know that you tried to trip me up here. I do know that. So how do I know that? Because I got a text from your father that said he's trying to trip you up. That's how I know that. Yep, Papa OGC texted me, buddy. 
he listens to the show. Okay, let's go to our first guest here. Oh, no, we got to mention our sponsor here. Thank you, Provolone. See, you are helpful today. You are helpful today. That was my fault. That's my fault. I was. I, I get so excited about our, our guests. Sometimes I forget to mention sponsors, which is like taboo in every single world that you live in because you got to somebody's got to pay the bills. And first of all, somebody Provolone, somebody needs to get the work done. So the light switch gets on. Everybody says somebody's got to pay to have the light switch comes on. But guess what? Somebody's got to go do the work to get the light switch to come on. And that's why the crude life is here. Go tell your friends Provolone. Crestwood Equity Partners is a publicly traded master limited partnership that owns and operates midstream assets located primarily in the Marcellus Shale, Bakken Shale, Delaware, Permian Basin, PRB, Niobrara Shale, Barnett Shale, and the Fayetteville Shale as well. Their operations and financial results are divided into three segments that include gathering and processing, storage and transportation, and marketing supply and logistics. The Crude Life Podcast would like to thank Crestwood for being today's sponsor. Links are available at our website, thecrudelife.com, as well as our social media sites. You can certainly check out Crestwood and who they're hiring and what kind of work they have going on in the different shale plays they represent. That is Crestwood Equity Partners. Thank you very much, says The Crude Life and Jason Spies. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk with U.S. Senator Kevin Kramer about Harold Hamm's prediction that oil prices are going to jump 19% over the next six months. This is U.S. Senator Kevin Kramer. With regard to his prediction that, that oil prices will increase um, 19%, I think he's on to something. I think you've already seen a little bit of that happen. We noticed that oil went from sort of low 50s into, you know, the now where the, where it is now in the low 60s, in that in, in that range, inching up, um, rather deliberatively over the last couple of months, almost unnoticed by a lot of people. Um, and and yet we've also seen the price of gasoline, for example, at the pump, maintain a, a pretty stable level, if not come down a bit. I mean, you know, it's around two dollars in many parts of the country. It's you know in the 230 to 250 range, I think, throughout North Dakota. Um, and, and that's, of course, because oil has, there's such a high supply and, uh, and a high supply of, of the, uh, of the uh, refined product. But there is a supply sort of constraint happening slowly as we head throughout, you know, now into the winter and into the, uh, to the spring. Uh, Harold would have a good sense of that, a better sense than most people, and I have no reason to, to doubt him. I think Harold also makes an important point as a producer, and I'd like to put a lot of times, Jason, I like to put the commodity of oil in the in the in the context, or at least in the historical context of our, the other commodities that North Dakotans are very familiar with, and that's grains and, and corn, things like that. Um, because we have to have a price for oil in our country, particularly in North Dakota, where, as you know, it's a little more expensive to get it out of the ground than it is other places. We need to have a price that can sustain the industry in our country. Because if we don't, things like what happen, you know, things that go on in the Middle East, remembering that OPEC used to set the global price of oil. Now the United States largely sets the global price of oil. At least we have a much greater contribution to it. And, and when we do that, of course, you have, you have the, the, the natural free market responses of, of coming from the United States of America. Anytime there's a glut or there's a constraint on supply or, there's a, or if there's a growing demand, 
we meet it, and we meet it very quickly. That means you're going to have a different pricing scenario than when OPEC is, you know, turning the spigots up or down um, based on what they want the price of oil to be, and they cr- and they manipulate that supply. Free marketers don't manipulate supply; they just create supply wherever there wherever there's a demand. So we always need to be careful to make sure that we have a price for oil that both stabilizes a a reasonable, favorable to the consumer. And when I say consumer, I mean everybody from the you know putting the gas in your car to the trucker to the to you know to the uh, to the other energy companies that use a lot of oil in their products. Um, we need something that's good for the consumer, but also that's a high enough price that sustains this incredible economic uh, boom that, that oil has created. And that was U.S. Senator Kevin Kramer. Up next, Dr. Lauren C. Scott on Harold Ham's prediction that oil prices are heading to 75 bucks a barrel. This is energy expert and economist, Dr. Lauren C. Scott. I mean, this is a guy whose money is being put on the line. So I would listen carefully to what he has to say as opposed to a, a retired college professor who watches the energy market from afar and doesn't have his own money in it, so to speak. So I would listen carefully to him. Uh, when he says the price is going to go up to 19. Uh, second, having said that, I, I find it a curious forecast uh, because the the United States is just pumping so much oil, producing so much oil. If you recall, if we went back to, I don't know, 2005, we were producing like 5 million barrels per day. Now we're producing nearly 13. I mean, good grief. I mean, that is a huge amount of dead gum oil on the market. And the only way the oil price has been propped up as much as it is is because the OPEC uh, members and Russia have, uh, have have agreed to take 1.7 million barrels of oil off the market. That's the only thing that's propped it up and kept it in the high 50s. So, I, golly, I, just, I don't know where... I don't know what would cause the 19% increase to happen unless, again, these lenders that we've talked about finally just throw up their hands and say, we're not lending you people any more, uh, any more money. We're just not getting the return that we'd hope for. And, the, and, and in the shell place, you start drilling, the rig count drops off. Now, the problem with the rig count dropping off in the shale play is something I mentioned earlier, and that is the steep, steep decline curve that occurs after the first year. And if the only way you can keep your total oil production growing is to continually be drilling wells to help to produce the output to offset that decline curve. Does that make sense? And so, and so if, if, if they quit lending money and the rig count goes down, that's the only thing I can see out there that might cause oil production in the United States to drop enough to cause a 19% increase. A 19% increase, that's a that's salty, man. That is a lot. I'm surprised to hear that forecast, actually. Listen to the full-length interview, visit thecrudelife.com. The Crude Life is sponsored in part by Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. 
Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects, groundbreaking. The Davis Refinery. to the Crude Life Podcast. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you much for joining us. And producing today's program is our entitled intern, Provolone. Thank you very much for choosing the Crude Life as part of your daily content. And by daily, we mean Monday through Thursday with a week in review every Friday. God, I just, I love the way that your generation says every Provolone. I mean, it's four days a week. It's like a half hour a day, which could mean 45 minutes. I love the way you guys do things. You just don't care. Whatever. We'll just throw a word out there. Yeah, the meeting. Good enough. Oh, we're going to get along just fine, Provolone. By the way, Provolone has tape over his mouth. Papa OGC and Mama OGC. Papa Provolone's parents, they own a modest oil and gas company, so we refer to them as Papa OGC, Papa Oil and Gas, and Mama OGC, Mama Oil and Gas, because... And you're, you're still under their insurance. They still pay for your they you they pay your bills. You're under their insurance. I know you're not under their roof, but I'm gonna listen to them. I'm not gonna listen to you when it comes to these things. So can we just go to our guest? Okay, thank you very much, folks. I'm very sorry, but first uh, I do want to mention Dan Haley is our next guest, Colorado Oil and Gas Association, and we're gonna talk about proposition. Uh, 112 and what that means now in Colorado. There's uh, six initiatives going around the state. Uh, Dan Haley is going to talk about what they are and what to do as well. I mean, we're talking about how to get active and be a part of things. But first, we want to mention that this Planet Service announcement is brought to you by The Crude Life. And today's Planet Service announcement is Everyday Energy. Everyday Energy is a planet service announcement, and today we're talking about outdoor play, which is critical to a childhood. Water cannons and bounce houses are just a couple of activities children enjoy outside. These activities are only possible with Everyday Energy. Everyday Energy is a term used for an energy source that can be relied on every day of the week. Everyday Energy, planet service announcement brought to you by The Crude Life. Now, back to our regular scheduling program. All right, thank you, folks. My name is Jason Spies, and this is Dan Haley, president of the Colorado Oil and Gas Association. Dan Haley, Colorado Oil and Gas Association. All right, thank you for joining the program today, Colorado Oil and Gas Association. Well, I wanted to ask you about uh, some headlines I saw, and then I got confused because it, it Colorado just recently went through quite a kerfuffle with the legislative process and the governor and and the oil and gas industry to the tune to where the governor flat out said war on oil and gas. Very distinct and bold thing to say. Uh, and, and now I'm, I'm looking at this this ballot initiative is, is back on uh, SB 181, but there might be six different ones. I, I was really confused. So, uh, Mr. Dan Haley, thanks for joining the program today. Sure. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, yeah. We need to go back to uh, 2018. I think that's when you really see 
uh, the beginning of this. Well, it actually goes back a few years before that, but activists from a group called Colorado Rising uh, were able to get a measure on a 2018 ballot called Proposition 112 uh, at that time, and it would have been an effective ban on on the oil and gas industry in Colorado and would have shredded private property rights for anybody that owns minerals here in Colorado. Unfortunately, uh, Coloradans saw through uh, that charade and saw what they were trying to do, and that is ban this industry that's been around in this state for more than 100 years. And so Coloradans rejected that measure by 10 points uh, in 2018. So there was an initiative by Colorado Rising back in 2018. Uh, the, The people rejected it. Colorado Rising, they, were they a local grassroots group or were they an out-of-state funded grassroots group? They have a local representation, but they did receive money from out-of-state. Um, I don't remember the exact percentages, but quite a bit of it did come from out-of-state and Boulder County. I think, in fact, uh, there was something like more than 90% of the money came from either outside of Colorado or inside of Boulder County, so okay. uh, much of Colorado was not reflected in those uh, in those in that financial information. Yeah, more evidence um, of of a template for sure. Uh, the Colorado Blueprint was another thing that I've heard uh, mentioned a few times. Apparently, there's a book on it uh, by the governor who uh, has. Some, it came out afterwards. He, he's pretty anti fossil fuels. Pretty anti oil and gas to the tune to where something called the Colorado blueprint. Is this familiar with, are you familiar with this or am I making things up? Yeah. (laughs) So the book, the book actually came out more than 10 years ago. I would say probably in 2008, the governor was one of four millionaires in Colorado that formed uh, something uh, called the Colorado democracy Alliance. And it was a group to uh, privately fund the Democratic takeover of the Colorado legislature in 2004 and 2006. That was back uh, before he was a congressman and was on the State Board of Education, but was obviously involved in in state politics. So that blueprint uh, book, the Colorado Blueprint, came out in 2008, and that infrastructure has largely still, still exists here in Colorado and is funded by others at this time, not by I don't believe that the governor funds that anymore, but uh, he certainly was a, a, a part of that at the very beginning. And so uh, during the 2018 campaign, that's when he ran for governor of Colorado. He had been in Congress for about 10 years at that time and decided to run for governor of Colorado when this ballot initiative was on the ballot. And he came out against that initiative, knowing that it would have uh, really been harmful to this industry. And so we were appreciative of him coming out of uh, against the against that ballot initiative, but the whole time he was campaigning, he campaigned for more local control over oil and gas. However, during his campaign, he wasn't terribly clear as to what that meant, exactly what he meant by more local control. And so the Democrats uh, that night of the election on November 2018, when Coloradans defeated Proposition 112, the anti-oil and gas initiative, they also elected Democrats across the state at a level that hadn't been seen since the 1930s here in Colorado. So Jared Polis was elected governor, and the Democrats, they already controlled the House of Representatives in Colorado, but they also took back the state Senate that night. And so in uh, February of 2019, a month after he had uh, been in office and the Democrats had taken over the State House, we saw Senate Bill 181, 
which was a sweeping oil and gas uh, regulatory overhaul, which included unprecedented levels of local control, which the governor had talked about in his campaign, over oil and gas regulation. And that's where we're at today. And they're still trying to piece through that. They're still trying to define that. They're still trying to uh, negotiate through that, correct? We're, 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 still, okay. we're still in that phase? Well, I'll, I'll tell you what happened. So in the 2019 legislative session, uh, the bill was approved. Um, and it set into motion a series of rulemakings, uh, which is what we're in the process of, of doing right now. In 2019, after the session ended, uh, there were three rulemakings, one on flow lines. Colorado already had the most comprehensive flow line rules in the country, but now uh, they're even more comprehensive and uh, will be mapped at a certain level that will be available to the public, uh, tested. The integrity of those lines will be tested more than anywhere else in the country. And then in December, we also went and air, underwent an air rulemaking to uh, further uh, toughen or make more stringent Colorado's already stringent air rules. And then now in 2020, there'll be a series of additional rulemakings uh, later this spring to hopefully bring that 181 uh, regulatory uh, system uh, into place by July of this year. Now, separate from all of that, some of the news you probably saw last week, Colorado Rising, the activist group, a, a, a keep it in the ground group, uh, they don't want this product to ever leave the ground. They came back again last week and said they're looking at additional ballot measures for November of this year. And that's what I wanted to ask you is that even though all this this change is going on and the legislative change and, and everybody's quite busy with, with what's already happened, this new group, call or old group, whatever, Colorado Rising, I saw somewhere some news story that said there might be six different types of ballot initiatives with regulations and setbacks that had to do with oil. Is that have you heard anything of that, or is it just one and yes. it's six? Okay, that, so my so, this is this is getting out of hand. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So what they did was they submitted six potential ballot initiatives to the Secretary of State's office. Oftentimes when campaigns uh, run ballot initiatives, they'll put several of them out there and see what can pass muster as it goes to this title-setting process to get approved onto the, onto the ballot. I don't know how many they will choose. Um, likely they'll probably settle on one, maybe two of those measures. I don't, I have no way of knowing, and they haven't announced that publicly. I imagine they're probably going to pull it and see uh, what, uh, what it looks like. But one of them is identical to the measure that Coloradans defeated two years ago on Prop 112, a 2,500-foot setback. There are also a couple of different 2,500-foot setbacks with different criteria surrounding them of what you're actually being set back from. Um, and then there's a couple 2,000-foot setbacks and then a bonding increase. But largely, they're looking at increased setbacks, which would really put much of the state off limits to oil and gas development. If you go back and look at what they did in 2018, they proposed a 2,500-foot setback. And again, three of these are 2,500-foot setbacks that they're looking at. That 2,500-foot setback would have put 95% of the top five oil and gas producing counties off limits to new development. So most of the gas and oil in Colorado is produced in those five counties. And it would have put 95% of those counties off limits to new oil and gas development. There was an outside group that looked at the economics 
of that particular ballot measure and found that 147,000 Coloradans would have lost their jobs by 2030. 147,000 Coloradans, uh, and those 75% of those jobs were outside of our industry. So it would have been devastating to the oil and gas industry, but for the overall economy in Colorado, given how important this industry is to our economic health and well-being in this state. Thanks, Senator John Cook from Weld County, former sheriff on the program, uh, right before the new year, mentioned 40, 45% of downtown is employed by the energy sector in downtown Denver. It's, I don't know if it's that high. It's, I, I've seen figures in the high 20s, 30%, and that's of uh, occupied space. But again, uh, that's a lot of downtown Denver is occupied by oil and gas. Uh, the number had been historically larger in, in decades past, but as Colorado's economy has diversified, that number's come down a little bit, but still a huge impact here in, in Denver and across the state. These jobs pay, on average, more than $100,000, twice what the Colorado median income is. So again, these are jobs that we should value in this state, that we should not want to push out with bad regulations or over-regulations or these uh, ballot initiatives that really aim to put us out of business. So what what are you advising people in the industry to do? And I'll, I'll preface that by, I used to, you know, in a former life, I was a magazine publisher, and we, we did a magazine in Greeley, Colorado, for probably four or five years with the newspaper. And it was a, it was a home magazine, but we spent some time there, and it's a very agriculture community. However, there's a lot of energy activity in Weld County as well. So the, the relationship between ag and energy, I, I experienced that firsthand, not only being from North Dakota, but I experienced it in Colorado as well as other places. Um, there's a lot of economic value there. There's a lot of uh, education that needs to happen outside of that area. Colorado's different because you've got a lot of uh, in- environmental activism going on, and it's directly impacting the energy industry in new ways. That's now, you know, people are having national discussions about investments and that sort of thing. You've got the hardest job in the, in, in the country right now for an oil and gas director uh, in terms of uh, association, without a doubt. I mean, I don't know if that's lost on you or not, but I mean, you've got you've got the biggest job. Uh, seriously, out of every state in the union right now, more than California and New York even, because their laws are set. You're trying to hang yep. on to something here, and the invite the because Colorado's so beautiful, that's being used against the industry, and they're the ones right. cleaning it up. Anyways, so. Uh, no. What, yeah. what, what, what advice do you have for people? You're, you're absolutely right. And this is a, a beautiful state, and uh, we want to keep it that way. Our industry works very hard to protect our air, protect our water, as you noted, and because we live here, too, so we have every reason to get it right. So first of all, if you're an oil and gas employee in Colorado, we really want you to know what's at stake. We want you to understand the political situation that we're in here in Colorado, and we need you to be out talking about all of those great things that this industry is doing. We need to be able to tell people that our emissions have gone down by more than 50% while production has quadrupled. All of those very good stories that are happening in our industry, we need to be out telling people. We need to be dispelling the myths that exist about our industry because if we're not doing it, no one else will. So we have some time over the next several months, if this, if 
if this potentially gets on the ballot, to really educate our friends and neighbors about what's, about what's happening out there. To other people who are in other states, I think they need to understand that these types of policies can potentially be coming their way. Things that start in California work their way to Colorado and end up in places like New Mexico and North Dakota and Oklahoma. And so people need to understand what's happening here and begin having these conversations now with their friends and neighbors, begin building those relationships with people in agriculture and other industries so you can stand up with each other and for each other as a government begins to look at potential regulations or laws that make it difficult for you to work in your state. And I'll even go a step further on that because this is something we've been covering for over five years on The Crude Life now. When I started, and it was because of Colorado, to be honest, um, I usually stay in Fort Collins when I go to Colorado because of Weld County, and it's an hour before Denver for me. So it's, and I got the horse tooth right right there, the nice horse tooth reservoir to go hiking and this and that. And mm-hmm. unless I go to Grand Junction, that's a whole different that's that's a different trip but um but you know so i i'm I, i'm, I'm kind of used to that and about five years ago i started noticing in the breakfast bars that people were looking over their shoulder when they said they worked in the oil and gas industry and i i thought that was a bit odd so i started paying attention to that more and more and then i started noticing uh some of the advertisements and some of the uh narrative had shifted pretty aggressively um, to where I think I even saw a billboard with just, a, I think, a woman and a child eventually. And that was, I don't even think it said anything else. And so when I started noticing this, I just saw a lot of parallels between the smoking ban that happened in, in many states, North Dakota included, where uh, they would find local representation, but a lot of the funding came from out of state. Then they used public health, and then they used science that sounded good, but it wasn't 100% verified. And then they used... Uh, the the emotion over fact, and it's the same exact template that is being used right now. And I don't know what the solution is, but I know this summer when you and I spoke on a, on a panel together, there was only two presidential candidates having a conversation against fossil fuels. Now we got a half, half a dozen. So um, we've got to figure out a way to connect in a, in a way to educate and and do these different things and um anyway i i just i just wanted to throw that out there it almost seems like we're living in a world when the uh, farmer got replaced by the grocery store meaning that nobody knew the farmer grew the food anymore that it just came from the grocery store now the light switch just takes care of everything right we need to do a better job of connecting the dots for photos for for folks so they understand where their energy comes from i also think uh, as you, you mentioned, the presidential candidates, and I think that, that they're doing a great disservice to all Americans. They are, are spinning a tale that we could go to this all-renewable future tomorrow if we wanted to, and oil and gas could simply disappear and everything would be fine. That is not a, a responsible way to run a campaign. In fact, it's irresponsible to be talking about banning oil and gas. If Elizabeth Warren got her way and quote-unquote ban fracking tomorrow, the first thing that would happen was our air would get much dirtier as people turn to coal to power the grid. Renewables are not ready to power the grid that we have in the United States, much less the world. So the first thing that would do is hurt the environment, not to mention put more than a million people out of work. Um, So it's really irresponsible for our presidential candidates and other elected leaders to be essentially lying to people that we can have this uh, renewable future tomorrow 
but for the political will to, to flip this switch. So again, it's up to uh, us to go out and make sure that we're talking to people about what our energy reality is in this country, the gains and good things that our industry is doing uh, when it comes to climate change, when it comes to reducing our air emissions, when it comes to energy independence. I think we saw in the past several weeks with Iran the importance of developing this resource here at home. You know as, as well as anybody, 10 years ago, had something like that taken place in the Middle East, oil would have spiked over $100 a barrel overnight. We'd be paying 4 or $5 to fill up our, our cars uh, with gas. We'd be paying more to heat our homes. And who does that hurt? That hurts the most vulnerable among us who have to choose between buying food, paying rent, buying medicine, or paying their energy bill. There are so many reasons to responsibly develop this product in our country, and I think we're seeing them play out right now. I'll even go a step further and say that there's a responsibility by the media that needs to happen too. The media needs to hold these candidates accountable for the things coming out of their mouths and then not decide to allow that stuff to be broadcast anymore because it, it is it's borderline reckless and it's really irresponsible it's uh creating a lot of existential fear in in people yep. and a lot of false realities and i think the media uh really needs and that's why we've done what we've done and changed our format and decide to you know it's it's not the it's not the sexiest thing in the room it's not the most popular thing in the room but at the same time it's needed and there, there, there is a time where you got to look at somebody like you said, Elizabeth Warren. And I agree with you because I back, back when I was talking this summer, I was referring it to dragon legislation and unicorns and things like that because it's, it's really it's it is that crazy that the media would allow that. When I mean, I've said it, and I and I think I even said it this summer. I I, I think the media should talk about what would happen if the industry took a three-day strike, what would actually happen? Not, 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 not get rid of fossil fuels. Okay, let's just say for three days. For three days, the industry took a strike. Boy, I, I think the media would have a heck of a time uh, speculating and pontificating on that. They'd give up pretty quick on that. They'd tap out and they'd be like, okay, we can't do that. But instead, they, they, they continue to say, okay, we'll get rid of it. And, and anyway, sorry, I, you, you hit a sore spot with me because I, I really think that the uh, people in the industry not only need to help out somebody like yourself to hang on, I think they got to let question the integrity of some of the people in the media and, and just say, how can you allow that on your air? I thought you guys were somebody of ethics and somebody of integrity and, and journalism, but apparently... You're just into spouting out a bunch of whatever. So anyway, sorry. Okay, so how can people help you out? How can people help out against, um, you know, uh, uh, protect the industry? And, you know, because you, you guys are up for quite a fight. You're up for a fight, and they're well-funded. Absolutely. We have uh, on our website, covid.org forward slash take action, a place where people can go. They can sign up for alerts. They can get information. They can get talking points so they can... Uh, begin to talk about the great things that are happening in this industry and how we're helping our society uh, thrive in the 21st century. Uh, there's a place where you can, if you want to uh, donate to support pro-industry candidates, there's a spot on our website to do that as well. But really, I would say stay engaged, stay up to date on what's happening, get the uh, latest from us. We'll send you emails letting you know what's happening here in Colorado and elsewhere and really what you can do to really stand up and 
stand up not just for your industry and your job, but for your livelihood and your and your way of life. It is it's so important that people understand and and that they, as you talked about earlier, people looking over their shoulder when they say they work in oil and gas. We really can't have that. This industry is so essential to what we're trying to do uh, in the 21st century and is doing such great things. We need to be proud of what we're doing and make sure that people understand why it's important, why it's critically important for their communities, their state, and this country. One final question. Dan Haley, Colorado Oil and Gas Association. Appreciate you coming on, and, and you can make it quick. I'm looking at the clock here, but um, I'm asking some people, and I'm very curious from your perspective, just because of kind of what I've laid out about, you know, you'd look at the 50 states, and yours is by far going to be the most um, challenging over the next 12, 12 months. But I've been saying this for the last three, four months, that 2020 will be the energy or will be the oil and gas industry, if not the energy industry's most important year, probably in written history. Um, I'd like to know your thoughts on that, being the heart of Colorado there. Well, you're probably right when you begin to look at the um, presidential race. I look at 2018 was clearly a, a critical year for us and that we had an existential threat on the ballot, were able to defeat it, yet also saw people win election uh, who wanted to put the clamps down on us uh, pretty severely. So 2018 was a was an, a critical year for our industry, but I think you're right in terms of what's happening in the presidential race, 2020 mm-hmm. uh, certainly uh, will be very important for the, the future of this industry. I mean, I, when I look at the different candidates that are, like I say, trying to ban fracking and trying to take out the industry, and you got Europe that is now showing they can't do it. And they've got 10 years of yeah. trying to trying to do it in Germany, and they had to fire up the coal plants and a number of different things. It's just, it just seems like this movement of emotion over fact is just, it's taking, it's yeah. snow, snowballing too much at the presidential level. And, um, you know, you got your own battle yeah. in, in your own state. So I, that's, I'm glad that you knew I was talking more of the, yeah. you know, the, the national and even global side of things, because there's, there's yeah. policy being done at the U.N. level. It's happy. I was going to say it's happening across the world, and it's really a time when we need the adults to step up and, and have a conversation about our energy future and how we can uh, do this together and, and create you know, clean energy for future generations and really get away from this fear-mongering and scare tactics that's taken over this topic. All right. What's the website one more time so people can help out uh, the Colorado Oil and Gas Association and industry? org forward slash take action will get you to where you need to be. And that's going to do it for today's Crude Life podcast. I'd like to thank U.S. Senator Kevin Kramer, energy expert and economist Dr. Lawrence C. Scott, and the president of the Colorado Oil and Gas Association, Dan Haley. Also, today's headlines, our sponsor, Crestwood, and the Planet Service Announcement. All of those links are available at thecrudelife.com. All of our show recap is available at thecrudelife.com. And please make sure you join our social media accounts as well. We're on the YouTubes. We're also on the LinkedIn and Facebook. All of those social media accounts are available at thecrudelife.com. We'll see you tomorrow. My name is Jason Spies from the staff here at the Crude Life Podcast. We're asking you to always remember energy is more than an industry. It's a way of life.
The Crude Life every Monday through Thursday with a week in review on Friday.